This is section seven of Mark Twain speaking. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The American Vandal Abroad, Lyceum Season, November seventeenth, eighteen sixty-eight to March third, eighteen sixty-nine. Read by John Greenman. I am to speak of the American Vandal this evening, but I wish to say in advance that i do not use the term in derision or apply it as a reproach but i use it because it is convenient and duly and properly modified it best describes the roving independent free and easy character of that class of traveling americans who are not elaborately educated cultivated and refined and gilded and filigreed with the ineffable graces of the first society the best class of our countrymen who go abroad keep us well posted about their doings in foreign lands but their brethren vandals cannot sing their own praises or publish their adventures the american vandal goes everywhere and is always at home everywhere he attempts to investigate the secrets of the harems he views the rock where paul was let down in a basket and seriously asks where the basket is he will choke himself to death trying to smoke a turkish pipe and swears it is good he will go into ecstasies over the insufferable horrors of the turkish bath though he is thinking the while that he may never come out alive he learns to ride a camel he packs his trunk with figs and other little vegetables he looks picturesque when beholding rome from the dome of st peter's his soul is full of admiration he rises above earthly cares he is proud and looks proud his countenance is beaming he does not fail to let the public know that he is an american this is not a fault it is commendable i have seen him in the company of kings and queens lords and popes he is always self-possessed always untouched unabashed even in the presence of the sphinx the american vandal gallops over england scotland spain and switzerland and finally brings up in italy he thinks it is the proper thing to visit genoa the stately old city of palaces whose vast marble edifices almost meet together over streets so narrow that three men can hardly walk abreast in them and so crooked that a man generally comes out of them about the same place he went in at he only stays in genoa long enough to see a few celebrated things and get some fragments of stone from the house columbus was born in for your genuine vandal is an intolerable and incorrigible relic-gatherer 
it is estimated that if all the fragments of stone brought from columbus's house by travelers were collected together they would suffice to build a house fourteen thousand feet long and sixteen thousand feet high and i suppose they would next he hurries to milan and takes notes of the grand cathedral for he is always taking notes oh i remember milan and the noble cathedral well enough that marble miracle of enchanting architecture i remember how we entered and walked about its vast spaces and among its huge columns gazing aloft at the monster windows all aglow with brilliantly colored scenes in the life of the savior and his followers and i remember the side-shows and curiosities there too the guide showed us a coffee-colored piece of sculpture which he said was considered to have come from the hand of phidias since it was not possible that any other man of any epoch could have copied nature with such faultless accuracy the figure was that of a man without a skin with every vein artery muscle every fibre and tendon and tissue of the human frame represented in minute detail it looked natural because it looked somehow as if it were in pain a skinned man would be likely to look that way unless his attention were occupied by some other matter it was a hideous thing and yet there was a fascination about it somewhere i am very sorry i saw it because i shall always see it now i shall dream of it sometimes i shall dream that it is resting its corded arms on the bed's head and looking down on me with its dead eyes i shall dream that it is stretched between the sheets with me and touching me with its exposed muscles and its stringy cold legs they have many holy relics in the cathedral of milan the priest showed us two of st paul's fingers and one of st peter's and a bone of judas iscariot it was a black one and bones and little vessels of blood of st john st mark and several other of the disciples they keep these relics in vials in a glass case and have them labeled as we often see geological specimens and they showed us a handkerchief in which the saviour had left the impression of his face we saw another in rome afterward and a piece of the stone the angels rolled away from the door of the holy sepulchre we saw the whole of the stone afterward in jerusalem and a part of the real crown of thorns we saw a whole one at notre dame in paris and a fragment of the purple robe worn by the saviour a nail from the true cross and a picture of the virgin and child painted by the veritable hand of st luke in every cathedral into which the american vandal wanders all over europe and especially italy 
he finds repetitions of these same relics until finally he becomes so accustomed to them and so attached to them that a cathedral that hasn't a pretended splinter of the cross or piece of a saint or fragment of a martyr to show has no charm for him i knew one of these gentry a simple-minded innocent vandal he was and very vulgar who had a perfect passion for these things whenever he went into a great cathedral when everybody was going into ecstasies over the grand architecture and paintings and such things he'd beckon to a priest and say here friend stuffy trot out your relics he didn't mean any disrespect but that was his way you know the vandal goes to see the ancient and most celebrated painting in the world the last supper we all know it in engravings the disciples all sitting on one side of a long plain table and christ with bowed head in the centre all the last suppers in the world are copied from this painting it is so damaged now by the wear and tear of three hundred years that the figures can hardly be distinguished the vandal goes to see this picture which all the world praises looks at it with a critical eye and says it's a perfect old nightmare of a picture and he wouldn't give forty dollars for a million like it and i share his opinion and then he is done with milan he paddles around the lake of como for a few days and then takes the cars he is bound for venice the oldest and the proudest and the princeliest republic that ever graced the earth we put on a good many airs with our little infant republic of a century's growth but we grow modest when we stand before this gray old imperial city that was a haughty invincible magnificent republic for fourteen hundred years the vandal is bound for venice he has a long weary ride of it but just as the day is closing he hears someone shout venice and puts his head out of the window and sure enough afloat on the placid sea a league away lies the great city with its towers and domes and steeples drowsing in a golden mist of sunset have you been to venice and seen the winding canals and the stately edifices that border them all along ornamented with the quaint devices and sculptures of a former age and have you seen the great cathedral of st mark's and the giant staircase and the famous bridge of size and the great square of st mark's and the ancient pillar with the winged lion of st mark that stands on it whose story and whose origin are a mystery and the rialto where shylock used to loan money on human flesh and other collateral and have you seen 
the gondolas and heard the romantic gondolier sing as only the romantic gondolier can sing according to the romances i have heard the romantic gondoliers sing we had just entered venice at eight in the evening and were floating away toward the hotel we were poking dismally around in the shadows among long rows of towering untenanted buildings and were very sad and disheartened and disappointed for this was not the venice we had expected it was at such a time as this that this ragged barefooted gutter snipe turned up and began to sing true to the traditions of his race i stood it for about five minutes and then i said look here rodrigo gonzalez michael angelo smith i am a pilgrim and i am a stranger but i'm not going to stand any such caterwauling as that if this thing goes on one of us has got to take water it is enough that my cherished dreams of venice have been blighted forever without taxing your talents to make the matter worse another yelp out of you and overboard you go i had begun to feel that the old venice of song and story had departed forever but i was too hasty in a few minutes we swept gracefully out into the grand canal and under the mellow moonlight the venice of poetry and romance stood revealed right from the water's edge rose stately palaces of marble gondolas were gliding swiftly hither and thither and disappearing suddenly through unsuspected gates and alleys ponderous stone bridges threw their shadows athwart the glittering waves there was life and motion everywhere and yet everywhere there was a hush a stealthy sort of stillness that was suggestive of secret enterprises of bravos and of lovers and clad half in moonbeams and half in mysterious shadows the grim old mansions of the republic seemed to have an expression about them of having an eye out for just such enterprises as these at that moment music came stealing over the waters venice was complete the gondola is an institution but it seems queer ever so queer this thing of a boat doing duty as a private carriage in venice we see businessmen come to the front door portly fellows with their portliness gauged according to their incomes step into a gondola instead of a street car and go off downtown to the counting-house we see young ladies out visiting stand on the stoop and laugh chatter and flirt their fans and kiss good-bye and say come soon maria now do you've been just as mean as ever you could and mother's dying to see you and so's the poodle and the cat and everybody and oh we've moved into the new house and oh it's such a love of a place 
so convenient to the post office and the church and the y m c a and we do have such fishing and such carrying on and such swimming matches in the back yard oh you must come no distance at all and if you go down through by st mark's and the bridge of size and out through the alley and come up by santa maria del frari and into the grand canal there isn't a bit of current now do come sally maria bye-bye and then the little humbug trips down the steps jumps into the gondola says under her breath disagreeable old thing i hope she won't come goes skimming away around the corner and the other girl slams the street door and says well that infliction's over anyway but i suppose i've got to go and see her tiresome stuck-up thing ah human nature is just the same all over the world and girls are just the same everywhere the girls in venice are just like the girls in cleveland they wear their dresses cut bias certainly and put the most gorgeous gussets on em and gores and all that sort of thing and wad up their hair behind so bewitchingly and prop it up with a crupper and they keep a pet kangaroo so as they can see how to do the grecian bend right ah the girls in venice are precisely like the girls in pittsburgh a venice girl is as much like a pittsburgh girl as 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 one blessed angel is like another and that was a close place but i rubbed through and we see the diffident young man mild of moustache affluent of hair indigent of brain elegant of costume drive up in his gondola to her father's mansion tell his hackman to bail out and wait start fearfully up the steps and meet the old man right on the threshold hear him ask what street the new british bank is in as if that were what he came for and then bounce into his boat and scurry away with his coward heart in his boots see him come sneaking around the corner again directly with a corner of the gondola curtain open toward the old gentleman's disappearing gondola and then out scampers his susan with a flock of little italian endearments fluttering from her lips and goes to drive with him in the watery avenues away down toward the rialto we see the ladies go out shopping in the most natural way and flit from street to street and from store to store just in the good old fashion except that they leave the gondola instead of a private carriage waiting for them a couple of hours at the curbstone waiting while they make the nice young clerks pull down tons and tons of silks and velvets and mombazine and bobinet and moire antiques and solferino and all those splendid fabrics and then they buy a paper of pins and go paddling up the canal to confer a portion of their disastrous patronage on the other stores 
and they always have their purchases sent home just in the good old way ah human nature is very much the same all over the world and it was so like my dear native home to see a lady buy ten cents worth of blue ribbon and have it sent home in a scow ah these little touches of nature move one almost to tears in those far-off foreign lands human nature is just the same all over the world blessed woman her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace i love the whole sex my own mother was a woman and we see little girls and boys go out for an airing with their nurses in the gondola when they've been good and haven't stolen any jam nor told any lies they couldn't substantiate i never had any trouble about going out for an airing when i was young because i never stole jam when i could get my little brother to steal it for me and i always made it a point to be just as particular about telling a lie as if i were telling the truth i'd rather have a sound judgment than talent and we see staid families with prayer-book and beads enter the gondola dressed in their sunday best and float solemnly away to church at midnight we see the theatre break up and discharge its swarm of chattering youth and beauty hear the cries of the hackman gondoliers and behold the struggling crowd jump aboard the black multitude of boats and go skimming down the moonlit avenues we see them branching off here and there and disappearing up divergent streets we hear the faint sounds of laughter of shouted farewells floating up out of the distance and then the strange pageant being gone we have lonely stretches of glittering water of stately buildings of blotting shadows of weird stone faces creeping into the moonlight of deserted bridges of motionless boats at anchor and over all broods that mysterious stillness that stealthy quiet that befits so well this old dreaming venice opposite this passage in the manuscript is a marginal note by mark twain very slow our vandals hurried away from venice and scattered abroad everywhere you could find them breaking specimens from the dilapidated tomb of romeo and juliet at padua and infesting the picture galleries of florence and risking their necks on the leaning tower of pisa and snuffing sulphur fumes on the summit of vesuvius and burrowing among the exhumed wonders of herculaneum and pompeii and you might see them with spectacles on and blue cotton umbrellas under their arms benignantly contemplating rome from the venerable arches of the Colosseum. and finally we sailed from naples and in due time anchored before the piraeus the seaport of athens in greece 
but the quarantine was in force and so they set a guard of soldiers to watch us and would not let us go ashore however i and three other vandals took a boat and muffled the oars and slipped ashore at eleven thirty at night and dodged the guard successfully then we made a wide circuit around the slumbering town avoiding all roads and houses for they'd about as soon hang a body as not for violating the quarantine laws in those countries we got around the town without any accident and then struck out across the attic plain steering straight for athens over rocks and hills and brambles and everything with mount helicon for a landmark and so we tramped five or six miles the attic plain is a mighty uncomfortable plain to travel in even if it is so historical the armed guards got after us three times and flourished their gleaming gun barrels in the moonlight because they thought we were stealing grapes occasionally and the fact is we were for we found by and by that the brambles that tripped us up so often were grapevines but these people in the country didn't know that we were quarantine blockade runners and so they only scared us and jawed greek at us and let us go instead of arresting us we didn't care about athens particularly but we wanted to see the famous acropolis and its ruined temples and we did we climbed the steep hill of the acropolis about one in the morning and tried to storm that grand old fortress that had scorned the battles and sieges of three thousand years we had the garrison out mighty quick four greeks and we bribed them to betray the citadel and unlock the gates in a moment we stood in the presence of the noblest ruins we had ever seen the most elegant the most graceful the most imposing the renowned parthenon towered above us and about us were the wreck of what were once the snowy marble temples of hercules and a second minerva and another whose name i have forgotten most of the parthenon's grand columns are still standing but the roof is gone as we wandered down the marble paved length of this mighty temple the scene was strangely impressive here and there in lavish profusion were gleaming white statues of men and women propped against blocks of marble some of them armless some without legs others headless but all looking mournful and sentient and startlingly human they rose up and confronted the midnight intruder on every side they stared at him with stony eyes from unlooked-for nooks and recesses they peered at him over fragmentary heaps far down the desolate corridors they barred his way in the midst of the broad forum and solemnly pointed with handless arms the way from the sacred fane and through the roofless temple the moon looked down and banded the floor and darkened the scattered fragments and broken statues with the slanting shadows of the columns what a world of ruined sculpture was about us 
stood up in rows stacked up in piles scattered broadcast over the wide area of the acropolis were hundreds of crippled statues of all sizes and of the most exquisite workmanship and vast fragments of marble that once belonged to the entablatures covered with bas-reliefs representing battles and sieges ships of war with three and four tiers of oars pageants and processions everything one could think of we walked out into the grass-grown fragment-strewn court beyond the parthenon it startled us every now and then to see a stony white face stare suddenly up at us out of the grass with its dead eyes the place seemed alive with ghosts we half expected to see the athenian heroes of twenty centuries ago glide out of the shadows and steal into the old temple they knew so well and regarded with such boundless pride the full moon was riding high in the cloudless heavens now we sauntered carelessly and unthinkingly to the edge of the lofty battlements of the citadel and looked down and lo a vision and such a vision athens by moonlight all the beauty in all the world combined could not rival it the prophet that thought the splendors of the new jerusalem were revealed to him surely saw this instead it lay in the level plain right under our feet all spread abroad like a picture and we looked down upon it as we might have looked from a balloon we saw no semblance of a street but every house every window every clinging vine every projection was as distinct and sharply marked as if the time were noonday and yet there was no glare no glitter nothing harsh or repulsive the silent city was flooded with the mellowest light that ever streamed from the moon and seemed like some living creature wrapped in peaceful slumber on its further side was a little temple whose delicate pillars and ornate front glowed with a rich luster that chained the eye like a spell and nearer by the palace of the king reared its creamy walls out of the midst of a great garden of shrubbery that was flecked all over with a random shower of amber lights a spray of golden sparks that lost their brightness in the glory of the moon and glinted softly upon the sea of dark foliage like the pallid stare of the milky way overhead the stately columns majestic still in their ruin underfoot the dreaming city in the distance the silver sea not on the broad earth is there another picture half so beautiful we got back to the ship safely just as the day was dawning we had walked upon pavements that had been pressed by plato aristotle demosthenes socrates phocian euclid xenophon herodotus diogenes and a hundred others of deathless fame 
and were satisfied. We got to stealing grapes again on the way back, and half a dozen rascally guards with muskets and pistols captured us, and marched us in the center of a hollow square nearly to the sea, till we were well beyond all the graperies. Military escort. Ah, I never traveled in so much state in all my life. I leave the vandal here. I have not time to follow him further, nor our vandals to Constantinople and Smyrna and the Holy Land, Egypt, the islands of the sea, and to Russia and his visit to the Emperor. But I wish I could tell of that visit of our gang of Quaker City vandals to the grandest monarch of the age, America's stanch, old, steadfast friend, Alexander II, autocrat of Russia. The emperor is a man of noble presence, tall and spare, has a kind blue eye, looks great and good, and every inch an emperor. It was a novel sensation to stand in the presence of this man, chatting easily and pleasantly, like an ordinary mortal, and so simply dressed, yet whose slightest word is law to seventy million of human beings, who could open his lips, and ships would fly through the waves, locomotives would speed over the plains, couriers would hurry from village to village, a hundred telegraphs would flash the word to the four corners of an empire that stretches its vast proportions over a seventh part of the habitable globe, and a countless multitude of men would spring to do his bidding. If this man sprained his ankle, a million miles of telegraph would carry the news over mountains, valleys, under the trackless sea, and ten thousand newspapers would prate of it. If he were grievously ill, all the nations would know it before the sun rose again. If he dropped lifeless where he stood, the effect might be felt in the furthest lands of Christendom. Yet where I stood, worm of the dust as I am, I could have overturned this god, I could have knocked this colossus down with my feeble fist, but I restrained myself. If there is a moral to this lecture, it is an injunction to all vandals to travel. I am glad the American vandal goes abroad. It does him good. It makes a better man of him. It rubs out a multitude of his old unworthy biases and prejudices. It aids his religion, for it enlarges his charity and his benevolence, and it broadens his views of men and things. It deepens his generosity and his compassion for the failings and shortcomings of his fellow creatures. Contact with men of various nations and many creeds teaches him that there are other people in the world besides his own little clique, and other opinions as worthy of attention and respect as his own. He finds that he and his are not the most momentous matters in the universe. 
cast into trouble and misfortune in strange lands and being mercifully cared for by those he never saw before he begins to learn the best lesson of all that one which culminates in the conviction that god puts something good and something lovable in every man his hands create that the world is not a cold harsh cruel prison-house stocked with all manner of selfishness and hate and wickedness it liberalizes the vandal to travel you never saw a bigoted opinionated stubborn narrow-minded self-conceited almighty mean man in your life but he had stuck in one place since he was born and thought god made the world and dyspepsia and bile for his especial comfort and satisfaction so i say by all means let the american vandal go on travelling and let no man discourage him remember our vandals in the quaker city will never regret their pilgrimage they learned something matters that were useful other matters that were only pleasant much that they learned much that they saw much that they heard they will forget but still a store of softly tinted images will remain in their memories and float through their reveries and dreams for many and many a year to come they will remember something end of the american vandal abroad read by john greenman